being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, and then Paul, a bit like, some pre- like many preachers today, he starts a sentence and then goes off onto something else and doesn't return to that sentence to verse 14. But we're not going to go to verse 14, I just thought well, that's why there's an incomplete sentence there. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. 
God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Amen. 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 Well, what's the story here? <coughs> well, Paul's most successful church planting venture was when he went to Ephesus. Because when he went there, and he lived there for around three years, he had some problems, he got persecuted. He says at one point he fought with wild beasts there, whether that was literal or figurative, no, nobody quite knows. But he, he so taught that the whole of Western Turkey now called the Ege region of Turkey, then called the Roman province of Asia, heard the word of God. He just taught in one city, but the whole, and it's a big area, the whole of that province heard the word of God because people used to come and hear Paul teach, go back to their own places, and so Paul must have communicated in such a brilliantly profound yet simple way that anyone who heard him could go back to their own places and teach the same thing and churches were established. That's what happened. And then, having established a church, I'm going to tell you the history of that in a moment because I'm, I'm cheating a bit, I'm going to the end of the story just to put this book in its context. When he then wrote... After he'd been away from there, he then wrote a circular letter to all the churches in that area, which we call the letter to the Ephesians, which is what I've just read from. So, what was this church, what, what was his strategy, what did he do? Because in the foundation of the church, you then get what the church will experience as it develops. Okay? If your foundation is merely sentimental and trying to please everybody, then that's what the church will be like. And so, the foundation was important. So, Paul, actually, it was his third attempt to go to Ephesus. First time, he certainly listened to the Spirit of God, but he said the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him go. It's interesting. Paul knew the difference between Satan hindering him and the Spirit not allowing it. And that happens, and we need to be sensitive to that as people of the Spirit. And then the next time he went, just stayed a few days, and <coughs> left Aquila and Priscilla there, and moved on. And this third time he came back, and he came to this place, and wandered around. So I wonder if there are any disciples here already. And so, he met 12 families, I don't know what it was, but he obviously spent some time with these 12 families. And after a while, I don't know how long, he said to them, 
He just sensed something wrong. I don't know whether there was not much joy, not much power, not much life. But he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What a question. Yeah, sometimes I wonder what would happen if Paul visited some places today. But did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we haven't even heard there was the Holy Spirit. Because Paul was concerned that this foundational group on which the church was to be built had to be clear on, the, on, on, every, on, on what Paul would be seeing as the truth that the church would need. First thing was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Oh, so then he asked a few more questions. You know. So what were you baptised to then? It's a bit surprising considering it was Western Turkey. Well, the baptism of John. John the Baptist's message obviously got all over the Mediterranean. And so he then, because that meant they weren't really, not only hadn't they received the Holy Spirit, but they weren't really born again of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. We are, when you become a believer, that's the sovereign grace of God to which you respond, which he, in which his Holy Spirit awakens you to new life, which we call being born again. But also, and if you haven't received that, you don't belong to him. But also, the dimension of the Spirit, where he comes upon you to enable you to move in power and gifts and experience the love of God poured into your heart. Okay? That's another dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, he then... Taught the approach the gospel to them, and they uh, were baptized. He laid his hands on them. They spoke in other languages and prophesied. And so, straight there, spirit was established. You see, he then started preaching in the synagogue for about three months. And he said he preached about the kingdom of God. In the Christian church since that time, we've not taught enough about the kingdom of God. That is, that Christ is now ruling. He's not just here to be your personal saviour. So if you just come to church for, when you hear the word of God, just for a little blessing for me, you'll get it, but it's only a tiny part of what God wants to accomplish for Okay, yes, you do get blessed in it, of course. But sometimes our, we come to church in order just to receive something for ourselves. No, no, we come together in order to be equipped by word and spirit to change the world. Do you understand? And that's the truth of the kingdom of God. Christ is now ruling... In every sphere of life, I love that announcement about a formula for leaders in the community. Sorry, for a conference for leaders in the a seminar for leaders in the community. Because we believe Christ is to reign everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, since the Catholic movement started, that's been one of our main things. To that we want to release people 
And so when you come together, you hear the word and you hear the spirit. Not just to bless you, as I said, but to enable you to bring the kingdom of God everywhere you go during this week. Okay. So he talks about the kingdom of God. Then they kicked him out of the synagogue, or he left because they didn't receive him, to be more accurate. And he started teaching every day in what probably a schoolroom by a guy who was called Tyrannus. Now, whether that was because of his style of teaching or whether it happened to be his name, <laughs> we don't really know. But he seemed to have a schoolroom where he taught and the um, Paul used to hire it every day. And he did that for two whole years, every day. Because his first priority was, make sure these people are filled with spirit. <coughs> Second and equal priority, if not greater priority, ensure that as he described to the Ephesian leaders later, they understood the whole plan of God. That's what he taught in the Hall of Tyrannus. I'm going to tell you that in a moment, just very briefly. Normally it can take me a day. But that's what he did. Taught them the whole plan of God every day in the Hall of Tyrannus. That's why all these people can go back to all these other places like Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis and all the other places in Asia. Some of them mentioned the book of Revelation. Went to all those places and churches were established. Because Paul taught them clearly. So you come together to experience and be taught clearly so that it has an amazing effect both in terms of church planting in the kingdom of God. Okay, that's what it's for. Okay, so. So Paul's day was interesting. It was full of word and spirit. As far as we can work out, his day was this. In the morning, he worked at his ordinary job making tents. Now, that would have been not tents like today. They would be made of leather. It was hard, hot work. And... And Ephesus, particularly in the summer, if you've been there, it's hot. And he, he would therefore be wearing sweatbands round his head and his arms and everything else. And as he worked, these sweatbands would get wet. Sorry for being so graphic. This is all in the Bible. This is the story behind this. Understand why the story is important? And so he'd throw them aside people would come and pick them up and take them to all their friends and relatives who were sick or who were demonised, put them on them, and they would be healed. He says, extraordinary miracles were done through Paul. It was founded in extraordinary miracles. Like, I love miracles. Just occasionally I get an extraordinary one. <laughs> One I was praying over a lady with terminal cancer, and uh, I didn't know how to pray. She got 
a very short time to live. And so I prayed in another language, and it's where it gave me. And the person who brought her was a missionary in East Africa who spoke Swahili. And he said, did you know you were rebuking sickness and flu in Swahili? <laughs> didn't help me when I went and preached in East Africa. I still had to have a track Swahili. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> time when Tyrannus wouldn't have been teaching because everyone had their siesta. <laughs> no, if you, you know, we often think today, what's a good time to have a service so that people can get there? Full thought. What's the only time available? Of, even if it's the hardest possible, I'll do it. <coughs> so we did it at lunchtime. More people were in on the streets in Ephesus at 12 midnight than at 12 noon. But he still did it. And then in the evenings or late afternoons, he would visit the households that were coming to faith. Going from house to house, I mean publicly, and from house to house, teaching Word and Spirit. Okay? That's what it was. Now that's the story behind these verses that we read. And so, he's saying to all these people, don't you remember what I taught you? I taught you God's plan. You, he said, you surely you have heard, he says at the beginning of chapter 3. Because that's to all the other churches who wouldn't have heard him in person, would have heard from people who got it from him. And Paul says, you are now the recipients of all the blessings that there are in Christ. Because this is God's plan. What was God's plan? God's plan, after sin came into the world, and he knew about it before sin came into the world, because it didn't take him by surprise. But God's plan was this. Right through the Old Testament, he get made promises and gave pictures of what he would eventually do to transform the world. That's the Old Testament. Promises and pictures of how God will change the world. He promised Adam and Eve that through the woman's seed, not the man's by the way, and this was important, through the woman's seed would come one who overcame the devil. Through suffering. You promised to Abraham through your seed, every family. It's a small, the first promise, later it says nations, but the first promise is smaller than that. It's actually the equivalent of clan, which is a bit bigger than an extended family. You've got your clan here today, haven't you? Okay, but the. Every clan is going to be blessed. Through David's seed, a king will come who will reign forever. Through the picture, I've gone slightly out of order because I'm doing it fast. Through the picture of a lamb sacrificed 
and door put and the blood put on the door, and an act of great power by dividing the the Red Sea, people got set free from slavery. Okay, so blood and of a lamb and through power. That was a picture. Whole book of Leviticus and all these books and all the pictures of offerings and things. All a picture of God's going to change the world through a perfect offering. Then, there were more promises. There were promises that the temple, temple was very important, it's referred to the scriptures, so it's important I bring it in. Temple, where was the first temple? Garden of Eden, who's that brilliant theologian? Okay, the Garden of Eden, yes. That was the first temple. It's where God met with men and women. And God's plan was for that temple to extend, when he said to Adam and Eve, multiply and fill the earth, so that the whole earth is the Garden of Eden. The whole earth is the temple of God. That was God's plan. So the new temple, which every other temple was just a picture of, was also promised, which would fill the earth. This is the overall plan. Now, when you come to church to hear the word of God, forgive me, you need to hear this. You will hear verses that give you blessing. Behold, I am with you, says the Lord. Yes, we need that. You'll give them, give them get your theology right, so you can extract lots of little verses and put them together and teach that God is Trinity. That's important. Systematic theology, that's important. But we must also never forget that the main thing is what Paul says here that you hear about God's plan to transform the world through Jesus Christ. So, then there was a promise that the Holy Spirit, who in the Old Testament only went on special people at special times for special tasks, would be on all God's people. Hallelujah! Okay? Which is what we experience when we come together. Okay. Now, when Christ came, he fulfilled every one of those promises. He was the woman seed. He wasn't born of a man. Woman seed. And he crushed Satan at the cross and the resurrection. He was the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He was the seed of Abraham. It was there to bless every nation. He says when Greeks came, who weren't allowed into the temple, Jesus said, yeah, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples to me over here. He's the son of David. He's the new king who's going to rule over the whole world. And even though we don't yet see everything under his authority, we take his authority into the world. This is what we need to hear about. He was the new temple. When Jesus came, where was the temple? It wasn't in Jerusalem anymore. That was redundant. Not a stone's going to left on a stone, said Jesus. When the disciples were impressed. Why? Because the temple came onto the streets. And the people Jesus took touched on the streets were the people who weren't allowed in the temple. A woman with, uh, with the issue of blood. The lepers. The blind, the blind, and the lame. What's the land in the temple? 
the temple came onto the streets. Hallelujah. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. This is the temple now. This is where God meets with man now in Jesus Christ. And then through the cross and resurrection, he died for the sins of the world, rose again as the living king, conqueror of Satan, ruler of all, new king over the earth. That's not the end of the story. That's only part of God's plan. Because this scripture that we read, I'm going to refer to it in Ephesians chapter 3, said, You, both Jews and Gentiles, now inherit all of the promises. Did you notice that? Well, see, all those promises, you see, when you come to believe in Jesus, the Bible says, and you need to hear this, that you are taken out of Adam and placed in Christ. When you're in Christ, you inherit all the promises that Christ inherited. This is the blessing. This is what you need to hear. This is the plan of God, the whole counsel of God. Therefore... You are in Christ, so you overcome the enemy. You are in Christ, so you're a blessing to the nations. You're a blessing when you go to work tomorrow, aren't you? You walk in, here comes the blessing to the world. Not because anything good about you, but because you're in Christ. And you receive the blessings. You engage with people to bring the kingdom of Jesus. You have received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And the church of Jesus Christ is now the temple of God where God meets with man. That's what it says in the scripture we read. I'm not going to go back to it, just explain to you in a moment. Now you know the underlying story. That's why I have to plant churches everywhere. That's why I have to go, come on, some of you need to go to unreached people groups. People have never heard the gospel. Because the temple of God needs to be everywhere. When Jesus returns, it will be. But we live in the light of his return. That doesn't mean we all just sit and cow down and say, come quick, Lord, because we can't do anything and have to come and rescue us. It means... Because when you come, the whole earth will be filled with your glory as the waters come to see. We live in the light of that. And we we seek to let the whole earth be full of your glory now. Do you understand? This is the big story. I've covered the whole Bible there. And that's what Paul said he taught. I've told the whole Bible. That's how we go to a little detail. You're involved in the plan of God. The question is not, what is God's plan for my life? And I hope I'll hear that by the Spirit and through the Word when I come together. But what is my role in God's plan to change the world? That's a different question. It's not about me. It's about His plan to transform the world. But the greatest privilege for me is that I'm part of that. Amen? And I inherit all these blessings. And they are made effective in me by the Spirit. 
So this is what Paul says in the scripture. So he says, my notes for the first time. Okay? So he said, in this, the blessing is this. Firstly, all nations are one new family in Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there can be never any racial prejudice. Tragically, the church has not lived that historically. Mm -hmm. But it must do now. And sadly, parts of the world, <coughs> things like nationalism, are overtaking mm -hmm. the church. It's bad that it's overtaking the world. It's even worse when it overtakes the church. Because we say all nations are one people in Christ. Yes. It says they're built on a foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. What's that? Scripture, yes. But it's what I explained to you. The foundation is God's whole counsel of God, God's big plan to transform the world. If we don't see that, we take isolated scriptures, and sometimes we misapply them even, because we don't see them in relation to God's overall plan. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, so it's all worshipping him all the way through. That's what we do when we're together. And the church is the temple where God lives by his spirit. How do you know whether God's here or not? You see, we teach the whole counsel of God and we experience God by His Spirit. And the wonderful thing about the doctrine of the Trinity is not just that it's true in systematic theology. It's actually, because I work a lot amongst Muslims, they don't believe in the Trinity. So God is always distant. With the Trinity, God is distant. He's supreme over all. No man has seen God at any time. <coughs> the Father is revealed in Jesus. So God has come down to show us exactly what he's like. And then he is experienced through the Holy Spirit. That's why the doctrine of Trinity is so important and so beautiful. So we can know God. And we can experience God. Because yes. we're a temple where God lives by His Spirit. So, so what, what does it mean for the church to be God's? Okay? And the church is. Yeah. I'll have more time for that. So, what does it mean for the church to be God's temple now? Well, firstly, each believer in Jesus receives and experiences the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. Mm -hmm. When I first experienced the Holy Spirit, it was nothing to do with gifts. I didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit in those days. When I first encountered the Holy Spirit, I believed all the gifts died out with the apostles. That's the background I came from. But I read Romans 5 verse 5. Hope does not make a shame the love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. We know God loves us. That's what the Word teaches us. We experience God loves us because His love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? So, so each believer experiences the presence of God. 
Secondly, gifts of the Holy Spirit are in evidence. You see, in the Old Testament, how do you know God was there? Well, you had a fire and a cloud, and sometimes the cloud came again later and the priest couldn't function. It doesn't talk about the fire and the cloud in Corinthians or Ephesians. It says, if an unbeliever comes in, and you're all prophesying. We've seen that. When our believers come in. It's as if God was speaking directly to me, they say. They say they fall down. They say, God is amongst you. The sign of God's presence now is not even a gooey feeling in, in the music. That can happen in any good concert. <laughs> And I don't, I don't despise that. That's good. That's part of God's common grace to creation. We rejoice in brilliant musicians who aren't believers. But it's when God touches and changes through the operation of spiritual gifts, whether that's the spiritual gifts of prophecy, tongues and interpretation, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, powerful teaching, Helping one another, serving one another. Mm -hmm. They're all equal. So gifts of the Holy Spirit are in evidence. Unbelievers see the presence of God and are led to follow, follow and worship God. And believers are equipped to function in the power of the Holy Spirit outside their church of a church meeting, in their jobs in their families and everywhere. Come on. Do you see? That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just for here. We don't come, we come to hear the word to equip us to know God's purposes in the earth. We come to experience the spirit to equip us to be his witnesses and live for him and have transformed lives in the world. Amen. It's not just to have a show. Not just going to hear the best musicians in the world, Christian musicians in the world, in a, in a wonderful worship service. It's the experience of God to enable you to be equipped during the week. That's why you come. Okay, so, so you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The friends from the country that I'm just getting involved with, I mentioned before I started preaching, they said, what they like about you, us in New Frontiers, they said, they're very bright guys, they said, our first meeting we realised two things that contrast that aren't all together. One was word and spirit, in a natural way, they said, like you just prophesy over people and you're sitting next to them and talking to them. Couldn't believe that. That was some prophecy in that form. Word and spirit. And secondly, your family and your mission, and those two often don't go together. Because often churches that are made like a family are not terribly good at mission than the other way around. And that's what I said I want to try and get hold of. And, and so Paul in the letter to Corinthians, I'll just close with this. You all right? Yeah. Yeah. Paul in the letter to Corinthians 
said, let's have all of this, but do it in a proper way. Because mm -hmm. Corinthians got a bit crazy. You know, one person would start prophesying and somebody else would think, I've got a better prophecy than him <laughs> or her, and shout over them. And they thought the ones who were speaking tongues for the longest were the most spiritual. Whereas those who actually could help others were not very spiritual. So Paul both encouraged the gifts and said, let's do them properly. Because he said, when you come together, there's three groups of people. They're all mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14. Three groups of people who come to your meetings. There's believers, they need to be edified. So don't just have tongues without interpretation because you won't edify anyone. You build yourself up, but you won't edify anybody else. <coughs> then he said this fringe attenders. Unfortunately, the Greek word for that is idiotes. <laughs> <laughs> Some translators, translations struggle with how to put it. They say, those who seem not to understand. But, and then there are unbelievers. And they must be helped and not led to think that you're all crazy. And that's true. Because the, the fringe attender and the unbeliever, if they think you're crazy, will go away. You don't want to go away, do you? So you do things in a proper way. You don't have tongues without interpretation. You don't have things happening without explanation. And it's very, very important. Because if we're word and spirit, we will also apply the word to how the Holy Spirit works <coughs> when we're together. I'm sure you do that. But it's very, very important to do so and not allow yourself to get out, out of line on that. Okay. So, when you come together, you learn from the word and it's the word, the big purpose of God's word. So if they, just a hint to preachers, when you preach, preach on the verse, preach on the story behind the verse and preach on how that fits into God's big story to change the world so that people always go back with that as well as the personal encouragement or personal correction of what the word brings. Yeah. 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 Yeah.